Welcome to the GMS Podcast, brought to you by GMS Distribution. GMS specializes in temporary portable power distribution equipment for the restoration contractor. I am your host and owner of GMS, Jared Steer, and today I will be talking to my friends. Hey, there we go. We're recording. My guest today, Bruce Deloach. How are you doing, sir? Uh, I ain't never been better, brother. <laughs> I have a hard time believing that, but I'm I'm happy you're here being a guest on the podcast. And uh, yeah, it's been a, it's been honestly a long time coming, but but we've had some conversations about yeah, we just got to time it out, and make sure that our schedules can line up, and uh, and here we are. I'm excited, man. Yeah, and I'm gonna come right out and just tell everybody I accidentally ghosted you the first time. I forgot it was terrible, <laughs> and I'm ashamed of it, but I'm willing to share that. Well, I'm the, gonna, uh, and I'm going to take half the blame. I'm going to take half the blame because I'm pretty technology moron, and I don't think I forwarded the appointment correctly. So oh. <laughs> I think it was. I think it's both, which is hilarious because I've been using Outlook, and my wife works for Microsoft, and she tells me all the time. She's like, she's like, you have to learn how to use this. Like, I work for this company. You have to know how to do emails <laughs> and appointments. And I'm like, ah, I'm trying. I don't know. Um, but anyway. <laughs> So I'll take I'll take half the blame. I uh, I, right. I it's probably on my end too. Oh, that's funny. Um, but yeah, well, yeah, we're here. Well, for and for anyone who doesn't know uh, who you are, I guess for me, I've known you for a while. Uh, but usually, it's in passing at a trade show, or we're sitting across from each other at dinner after a, after a show, or it's always some industry related event. And. Uh, I honestly, I don't think I've talked to you for more than maybe five or 10 minutes before. So that's another thing too, uh, you know, with the podcast, where you just get to dive into a conversation with someone for, for roughly an hour. Um, you know, I, I'm, I'm really, really looking forward to getting to know who you are and how you got here and, and all of those things. So this is going to be cool, man. Rock on, man. I'm ready to go. All right. Well, why don't you start us off for anybody who doesn't know Bruce Deloach, uh, you know, Give us a little bit of an introduction of who you are and what you're doing in the industry. Yeah. So, um, you know, well, first of all, thanks for the opportunity. I um, got into the industry about uh, 27 years ago accidentally, and we'll we'll tell a little bit more about that story later. But uh, okay. I uh, currently now I pri my primary role is as an IICRC instructor. I teach uh, several courses, water damage restoration, fire and smoke restoration, odor control, health and safety technician, carpet cleaning, upholstery cleaning, and uh, also teach the EPA RRP courses, you know, uh, up until the pandemic. Okay. Uh, and so uh, th that's primarily what I am as a, a trainer. I also do business coaching uh, strictly for the industry. So, uh, you know, small business owners who are trying to grow their business, um, I help them to overcome certain types of hurdles. Okay. And... Then um, probably the other cool thing, um, my wife and I have been married going on 37 years now. So uh, that's been great. She's actually the real reason that we've we've been so successful. And um, I guess the only other thing is, so we used to be, I used to be known as the cleaners coach. That was the name of our company. And we recently rebranded. Okay. So some people may have heard of us before as the cleaners coach, but now we're uh, Deloach training and consulting. So uh, that's about it. I used to own my own carpet cleaning company. Uh, we did cleaning and restoration, but mostly cleaning. Okay. Uh, we ran that for about 13 or 14 years, and then I became an instructor uh, about 17 years ago, something like that. So quite a few years in the industry. And and first, congratulations on your, uh, what you say, 20, 27? How long did you say you and no, Joanna have been together? 37, 37 years. Yeah, 37. I thought it was 37, but then I did. But then I was like, that's a really long time. Maybe I didn't hear it right. But no, that it, yeah, <laughs> man, congratulations. And she's great. I've met her so many times and, and she's always yeah. helping out around. Like she's just volunteering her time and anything she can do to help. Uh, she's great. I I love Joanna. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah, she's the best. So 13 years in the in the cleaning industry and then 17 uh, as training and instructor and coaching man that's you've got a lot of experience i mean this is this is very cool yeah i think i think what happened this i mean you could say it goes back to like i think about geez when did i 
first feel like I wanted to do something like this, even though it wasn't in this industry. And it goes back to second grade. I mean, I was, yeah, I was in love with my second grade teacher. (laughs) Her her name, her name was Miss Spitzer. And I didn't mean it in the way, you know, I just loved what she did. She was a teacher and uh, she felt like this person who understood me and, and, and was trying to help me uh, to learn things and, and to enjoy life. It was just a interesting experience with, with uh, having a teacher like that. And I've always loved learning. I've always loved reading. Um, I've always been kind of a bookworm. So when I started taking IICRC courses, I, re- I realized that like at that moment, the first class that I took, I said, that's what I want to do right there. Oh, wow. Well, the, and the teaching, I mean, that's so teachers are play such an important role. I mean, I, you're going all the way to second grade and I, and I could do the same thing with some of the teachers that I've had. And I mean, and when you get a good teacher, it's phenomenal. It'll, I mean, it'll, it'll literally change your life when you, when you have that, that good teacher who's willing to invest, who can understand you, understand how you're learning and, and get the information to you and, and teach you. Uh, that's, in, that's incredible. And that's, I'm, I'm happy. I am not a teacher. I don't think I am anyway. I don't know that I have the patience for it, but I'm very happy there are people like you that are out there being good teachers. <laughs> well, I love it, man. So anyway, well, going back to the, I was going to say, like, I haven't wrote down on my paper. You're 13 years in the cleaning industry and then 17. I guess what I was saying is, I mean, and I, and you, you've got, you've got a, a couple of years on me, but I know I was introduced the other day uh, for something that, you know, 20 plus years in the industry. And I was like, wait a minute, is that number right? And I was like, I'm like, oh my gosh, it is, I am a 20 pluser in the, in the yeah. industry. <laughs> and uh, yeah, yeah, it's just, and uh, it was, I just remember, I remember the, like the numbers coming out and like doing the math and I was like, oh my goodness, it's been a, this has been a, uh, a journey. This has been fun though. It's been, it's been a really good time. And it's just, you know, and I, I kind of feel too, it's funny and you can, you can tell me, but I feel like right now, like, you know, a 20 plus or I'm just, like I'm halfway done. I'm like kind of just getting started. I feel like the, you know, maybe the first 10, I was kind of an idiot. And then I started figuring things out and it's, and it's just, uh, it just every day for me and every year for me just gets better. And, uh, I don't know. Does that ever stop? Yeah, I'm quitting tomorrow. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm kidding. No, it doesn't. And in fact, um, oh, you heard it here first, folks, on the GMS podcast. Bruce Deloach <laughs> announced retirement. No, go, go ahead. no, but I'm uh, I'm getting so much more comfortable with what I do, and even the the modality that we're doing it now, primarily on Zoom, um, learning how to interact with people and inspire mm. people, even though we're not in the same room. Uh, I, I think it's sharpened, you know, my capabilities and it does feel like this is a new era in, in what I'm doing. So it feels fairly fresh, you know, it's, okay. it's, uh, and then I've added some additional, um, uh, subjects that I'm training. And so, yeah, it's, it's evergreen for me right now. So, and, and I see that being, you know, for the foreseeable future. Oh, awesome. Was that a hard transition for you to go from in the classroom to online? Yeah, the first couple of months, I thought I was going to just pack it in. Mm-hmm. I really did. I, I didn't like it. I'm a I'm a people person. I like to just walk around the classroom and look over people's shoulders and have, uh, you know, conversations with them. Okay. Um, you know, and, and now I can I can kind of do that. But but a lot more of it is based on I have to watch their faces. I have to watch that, you know, their energy mm. through just the, the little bit of limited, you know, contact that we have through sure. that screen. And um, yeah, it's but but we're getting good at it. And I think everybody's getting good at it because we had to for so long. Yeah. If you're going to stay and you're going to adapt, you have to you have to get good at it. Yeah, it's interesting because I mean, with 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 teaching someone and trying to see, you know, do, did they get it and reading body language? But now all you have is the the little box face on the screen, right? And you're trying yeah. to to make that assessment through there. That would be difficult. Then what kind of Yeah, if you're if you're used to it the other way, it, it was a transition. But then after it's so funny uh, you asked that question because now I I I don't know why we didn't do it sooner as an industry because this opens up mm. so much more. Um, people are saying that they can now send their people 
to classes when it was unaffordable before. You know, they they'd have to get hotel. They oh, would have sure. to have per diem. You know, um, and now it's just they can come into the office and and attend a class. They're on the clock. Yep. And uh, you know, a whole lot of that extraneous stuff is gone. Well, yeah, I mean, the I'm going to call it the overhead to send someone to class is I mean, yeah, it would get expensive, especially if you were sending multiple people or multiple people a year. And yeah, that was uh, a lot of money that was being spent where and now it's not. Yeah. I mean, we were having people flying from, you know, from from California, from Canada, from, you know, you right. think about how much they how right. much of a, a uh, commitment that that took. Well, I so, so hats many- off to I was just say I, I know so many times when I was in when I was in Indiana, you know, there would I would go down to Indianapolis and I and I'd hit Chuck's school and Brian Brainerd's school and uh, Kurt Bolden's school, and yeah, you know, for me it was a, a two hour drive and I drive down and grab lunch with the guys and hang out for an afternoon and then drive back. But yeah, and then hearing some of their schedules, they're like they're trying to fly back to California and it's going to be you know they have a a twelve hour travel day ahead of them and I'm just like oh my goodness I didn't even think of that you know I'm, for me it's just an easy little little drive down grab lunch and drive back home I mean I'm I'm home that night and you know for dinner and uh, yeah you know, for some of these guys the the day of travel in the day of travel out and then the the class days and and being and for them too being away from your family and being on the road and so much nicer when you can just sleep in your own bed and and uh, jump on the computer the next day. Heck yeah. Yeah. Now, what have you seen as far as, as, and and I guess like with this new, you know, kind of the, the, the technology piece and moving to zoom and putting a bunch of things online. And I, and I'll say like where I'm coming from is I'm seeing this in the hunting industry a lot where everybody, I should say, I should say everybody, but everybody has now an online mule deer course or an online e-scouting course or an online you know they have a meat preparation course and i mean there's there's a course to sign up for 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 elk hunting deer hunting antelope hunting archery rifle how to shoot your rifle i mean it's there's so many online courses that i mean they just didn't exist even four years ago three years ago you know but now Everybody, I mean, you could you could take five different mule deer courses if you want to. I mean, you can find them. What have you seen in the restoration industry? I mean, has it has it moved similar to that where you know we have the IICRC training and we have like our requirements to get our certifications, but outside of that, like I would say more probably on the business coaching side or a tech or a technician skill side. Where where have you seen or are you doing something? What what kind of doors and opportunities have opened up since a lot of this education has moved to an online platform? Man, that's a great question. Well, I'll tell you, for for me personally, I'm able to do more courses. More courses, okay. So so that's a big deal because you know, um, uh, I, I mean, my commute in the morning is is uh, walking out the back door of my house and then walking into this, this, you know, we have a separate uh, building and that's where the studio is. So, okay. So on property. You know, there's, yeah, it's all yeah. on property. So I don't have to worry about travel. We don't have to worry about paying rent on a commercial building. Um, so I think for a lot of instructors, and by the way, I'm starting to see more instructors entering and that's great to see, especially younger people. We need some more young instructors. Um, but that's what I'm seeing is that there are more instructors who are getting into this and there are more students now than ever. Sure. So it, it really opened it up. And then the only thing that I would like to see change is that, um, I think a lot of instructors really need to up their game just a little bit. Uh, you know, if you're, if you're, if you're getting, taking a class and you're seeing somebody with a ceiling fan over their head, it it just kind of takes away from, Mm. you know, it takes away from it. Um, you need to have a feeling. What's the, what am I looking for? You just need to have a feeling that that person, um, that it's not just a, a hobby, that it's not just something that they're doing in their living room. Well, Even I, though many people it is. Well, I think what you were saying, you know, it's, it, it used to be a classroom setting and now you, mm-hmm. and now you said when you teach a class, now you walk into your studio. And I th- yeah. and I think I would agree with you. I think uh, if I were going to take an online class, I would like to see someone in and you're you know in their studio rather than yeah in their living room or in their spare bedroom. 
<laughs> teaching. And there's teaching ways to get around that. There's a, there's a whole lot of easy ways to get around it. So oh, sure. anyway, that yeah, and I didn't want to divert too much on that, but that was that's the only one of the, one of the few downsides that I see to this is is um, the professionalism needs to be raised up just a little bit in in some cases. Well, it's interesting. I mean, I'll talk. I want to talk about it for a little bit longer because I think it's also interesting where you know you have you have somebody where now you're asking them to do something different and where it's, you know, before maybe when they showed up to a classroom, right? Because you guys travel and do and teach classes in other people's classrooms and other facilities classrooms. And now and now you're almost, you know, being required to build your own or have your own. And uh, I mean, I'm thinking of it even even to my company, you know, it's like when you look at the very first pictures of my product that I took back in 2010, you know, versus the the pictures that i take now when when now i have the correct backdrop and now i have yeah. uh the lighting and now i have the software that i can go in and edit and and do things and get rid of shadows and and you know it's it's yeah i mean i mean stepping your game up and understanding like hey this like this this is getting the job done but it could be done a lot better and and almost like having having people realize and then they have to you know have to do the research and educate themselves on how do you make a professional looking studio for a, for a zoom call. And, uh, yeah. And then, no, and then it's, uh, the, it's the realization that it's perception. A lot of what, mm -hmm. how people feel about the experience that they're having happens at a subconscious level. They don't even know why they trust or don't trust someone. They don't even know why they think that someone is a great instructor or, or not as good. It's just a feeling that they have. And it's the entire package. It's how do you dress? You know, how do you use your language? What's the quality of your microphone? You know, what kind of a backdrop do you have? What do your slides look like? Yeah. What does the manual look like? And all of that stuff comes together just to give you a, a, a specific feel for that course and that instructor. Yeah, no, that's 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 really good. And I. And I think that's, I mean, I think that's good too. I mean, let people, and we'll move off of this. We don't need to talk about this anymore, but, but I, yep. I do think that's good. You know, if, if, if any instructors listening to this, you know, really just take a, take a kind of an inventory of your studio or of your, you know, where you record and uh, see if you can make it better. Cause it's all it does is make the industry better. Right. Yep. Very cool. Well, one of the things that I did find out about you, because like I said, we've only had some brief conversations before this, but I listened to your podcast that you did with uh, with Eric Sprig and Larry Wilberton on the Blue Collar Nation. Those guys, first of all, those guys are great, and uh, and they're coming. They're going to be yeah. on my podcast here soon uh, in the next couple of weeks. So that's gonna that's gonna be fun. They're just great guys. Tell, how is how did you first before I get to what I was gonna say? Um, I mean, you you guys are good friends. Right. I mean, even outside of just the industry or, you know, or, or outside of just that podcast. I mean, you guys, you guys seem like at least that you guys are, are some really good friends. How did that relationship come about? Uh, we just ran into each other at an event that uh, we're friends of Howard Partridge. You know, he mm. owns uh, Phenomenal yep. Products and he was both he was their business coach. He's my business coach. Mm. And um, we just hit it off. I mean, uh, that makes sense. You know, yeah, they're just they're just those kind of guys. They're down to earth, and it was so funny because I met them before they sold uh, their restoration business. Oh, okay. and I remember seeing the struggles that they were having, and and you know uh, that they would talk about, and then what we would watch as their business developed to the point where they, it was uh, it was a great business, and then they were able to sell it, mm -hmm. and then go out and do what they had a passion for, which was to develop. Uh, you know, they're, they're coaching and they're, and they're uh, you know, helping other business owners. Yeah. Well, and that's when, when I, when I do get them on the podcast, I think, I mean, they've, they've been very open about their struggles and their, and how they built the business and selling it. Um, when I get them on, when I get them on the podcast in a couple of weeks, we're going to talk about that whole new rebranding they just did doing the super tech university. Anyway, I'm looking forward yeah. to it because I don't think anybody's really, <laughs> really got to ask them, you know, about, about that journey. So that's going to be fun, but um, okay. So that's cool. That makes sense with the Howard Partridge coaching. Um, just cause I knew you guys just had a better connection than just, Oh, we met each other. So that makes, that makes sense. Um, but when you were on their podcast, you told the story about how you, got into the cleaning and and restoration side of the business. And it isn't like any story that I have ever heard. Uh, I've talked to plenty of people about how they got into their businesses. And you have a very unique story. 
Would you mind sharing that or, or telling us about that? No, I don't mind at all. And I'm going to add the preamble. Okay. So the part you heard started with, uh, you know, a friend of mine wanted to start his own uh, carpet cleaning business. Yes. Well, you know, how did I even get to the point where that person would ask me that question? And I started like, it's kind of like peeling an onion. You know, I said, well, how did that come to be? How did that come to be? Yeah. And I'm going to keep this as short as possible. It's probably going to take two or three minutes. But um, so when I was 13 years old, uh, my mom started to peel some wallpaper off of a wall in our house. Okay. <laughs> and uh, because, you know, it was in their master bedroom, it was pink and it was painted over pink. And so she started peeling it off. Well, dad got home. And this is when we lived in Philadelphia. And uh, dad said, okay, if we're going to do this, we're going to do it right. So he went out and got scrapers and all this kind of stuff. And me and my brother were tasked with scraping this stuff off the wall. Well, of course, as we did, there was plaster underneath. And uh, we were gouging it and everything. And some of the plaster was old and it was falling off. Yep. So the, uh, the next thing we had to learn how to do was patch plaster. So <laughs> dad went out and got the stuff. And, and we started patching it up so that we could repaint the walls. And um, we got pretty good at it. So we ended up doing a whole bunch of work on that house. And then we ended up moving to another house in, in Ohio. Well, when I was working, when we were remodeling that house, one of the neighbors came over and he saw me patching stuff up and painting and everything. And, and I was 15 at this time. And he said, man, I need somebody who can do that kind of work. Uh, he was an electrician. Okay. And so he he would um, he'd go out and and rewire old houses, and of course he had to make holes to pull the wires and all that kind of stuff. Very and he still like to fix yep. it. Yep. Yeah. So so when I was fifteen and it was summertime, I went off to to work with him doing that kind of stuff, and then he taught me to be an electrician. Okay. So that's that's how I got into construction, and once I was in construction, uh, I, most of my career was as an electrician, but. Um, I met a guy, and this is where where you learn, you know, heard from. I met a guy, and he had me as an electrician doing some work on a house that he was uh, rehabbing. And so um, I watched him. He was a young guy. He was brash, you know. And uh, I said, man, oh, man. So here I am going to charge him, you know, $1,500 or $3,000 to rewire this whole house. Yeah. And then he's just going to flip it, and he's going to make thirty dollars or $40,000. So I decided I wanted to do what he did. Okay. And uh and his name is, you know, we call him everybody calls him Pauly D, okay? Pauly D. Uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And and so Paul's a cool cool guy, but he is he he's a he's a shrewd businessman. Okay. And so um anyway, I wanted to get into flipping real estate. So um my wife and I found a house that we wanted to do and we had we had the cash uh for to, you know, to buy the house outright. But we didn't have enough money to renovate it, so we had to borrow some money, and we went to Paulie. And okay. Paulie is a hard money lender, so that means you know if you don't if you don't pay, he comes and starts taking your stuff, right? Okay. So yeah, right. Anyway, we did a few deals with him. There's you know, like so, so many we, stereotypes we, going on right now, Bruce. But yeah, yeah so much, well, they're all they're all fitting. And, uh, <laughs> and uh, so anyway, um, we. Uh, um, we flipped a few and then the, they announced the Olympics in Atlanta and we couldn't buy any more houses. Like everything oh. that we were buying for 20 or 30,000 back then, everybody wanted 70,000, 80,000. It was just stupid because they had announced the Olympics. So we were kind of in between. And then a friend of mine comes up and he says, Hey, you know, I want to start my own carpet cleaning business. And uh, he was somebody that I'd known from back in Ohio. You know, we were teenagers together and, okay. and I didn't know him really well, but I knew him enough to, you know, trust him. And uh, so I told him I wasn't interested in the carpet cleaning business, but he wanted me to help him secure financing. So we went to Paulie D. Okay. <laughs> and Paul was not interested in lending him the money because he had no collateral. But I had collateral. I had, I had a rental property and then I had the house I lived in, had a lot of equity in it. Um, so I thought what could go wrong? I would just, <laughs> you know become a partner in this business. And then I would put up my property, my own home as, as collateral for the loan. And I don't know how, how, how in depth you heard the story, but basically that friend of mine that I had known for so long, turns out that he had uh, a you know criminal past. And mm. um, one day he, you know, did something that landed him in jail. Okay. Um, 
and it, and it was bad enough uh, that most of our customers who were all apartment complexes, mind you, then uh, all of our customers heard about it. And we lost at least 50% of the business in one day. Oh, uh, so here I am. And by this time, by the way, we'd grown it. We had, uh, you know, three trucks out there, technicians, you know, we were running the business out of my house. We had all the, you know, everything. And, uh, it was like the, the faucet turned off. Yeah. So, yeah. So, so anyway, Joanna and I just to fast forward a little bit. Um, we were at the brink at, at one point of losing everything. We we're going to lose our house. We we're going to lose the trucks. We we're going to lose the whole business, everything. And we fought and scrambled and did everything we could. And that was when I started taking IICRC courses and I started learning the business and we, we built the business to stability. You know, and I want to, um, I want to be clear too. like, I know, I, I mean, this is definitely a story that I've never, you know, anybody getting in the industry has never approached me with this story before. And, and I am kind of laughing at it. It is comical, but it's comical now because I know you made it through it, but I have to, I mean, yeah. I, I, I can't imagine like those those conversations you and Joanna are having. And I mean, it had to have been probably one of the worst. I mean, hopefully that was the only worst time in your life. And it's all been better from there. But I mean, that had to be very, very hard. Dude, it was gut wrenching. Yeah, it was gut wrenching. I, I uh, uh, I'm perfectly willing to admit that at during that time, I relied a lot on bourbon. On it got me through sometimes. Yeah. And it went in, in a bad way. Right. You know, I would come home and I would just, just, uh, you numb, know, numb you up and put you to sleep till, till I relaxed. Yeah. And yeah. And it was, um, it was a dark time, but it, it made us, it made Joanna and I smarter. That's for sure. Right. Cause I'll never do that again. <laughs> well, yeah, when you can, when you're a smart enough person to learn from your mistakes, then a mistake usually isn't too bad because you are going to learn from it. But yeah, the school of hard knocks, right? You got your education the hard but, way. Yeah, but it but it it, it wrecked our credit. Mm -hmm. um, it um, it it wrecked it temporarily wrecked our reputation in the industry. I mean, we had to rename the company. I mean, everything. It oh was wow! Bad. Yeah. And then and and then but but here's the cool thing. This is the big turning point. And by the way, I would, I would even go back further. And I would say that there was a big thing that made this possible for me mentally. And it was, um, I was introduced to the likes of Zig Ziglar and Brian Tracy early in my life. Okay. And so that stuff would just keep coming back into my mind. And I would say, we can get out of this. We can build this. We can make this great. And then I met a guy. Um, I, I kept getting these letters in the mail from some guy named, some of you know him, Joe Polish. And he was talking about I, I how I don't know can, Joe. You don't know Joe? Have you ever heard of him? No. Okay. Well, he's he's moved on to bigger and better things now. But back then, he was kind of like the carpet cleaning marketing guru. Okay. Okay. Um, and and uh, he had this company called uh, Piranha Marketing. And I have he, heard of um, that. Yeah. And so what Joe did is he kept sending these letters and I would get these letters and he kept talking about how you can double your income and, you know, take more time off and all that stuff. Right. And finally, one, one day I just kind of, you know, bought, bought into it, bought the package, the, the, you know, the original package. And I just started doing this stuff and I started marketing to high end residential instead of apartments. And uh, we started seeing some traction and we built that company, you know, with, you know, the help of Joe Polish, uh, Howard Partridge, of course, listening to Zig Ziglar, Brian Tracy, and all of that stuff, just pouring this positivity into my mind. We built it into the most, you know, the highest priced, um, high-end carpet cleaning company in Atlanta at the time. That's so great. Um, yeah. And it was just because I, I was, you know, I was like a sponge. I was absorbing all that positivity and, you know, the can-do attitude. And when we sold the business we ended up selling the business um one at about 13 or 14 years we were i was ready i already knew what i wanted to do it, it, it was it was like a seed that was planted in me you know uh, 10 years prior yeah and i knew i was going to be an iicrc instructor and joanna supported that whole thing um by she kind of wound down the business a little bit while i was winding up the uh Okay. Uh, the training and then we just kind of took off from there it was 
almost like it was meant to be. But if you think about it, uh, it all happened because my mom was peeling some wallpaper off of a wall. <laughs> all goes, it feet. all goes back. <laughs> <laughs> oh, well, two things, you know, one, um, how big of a red flag is it in your own head with some self-awareness when you think what could go wrong? Yeah, I don't say that anymore. <laughs> I I think and what I, could go wrong now, with you this? know what my new you know what my new uh saying is, and I think everybody should have this as a motto to some degree. Because sometimes we take chances we shouldn't take. And here's my yes. new motto. If the downside is unacceptable, then the upside is not worth it. Mm. Yeah, I like that. And and that downside was unacceptable. Uh, we almost lost everything. So, you know, I was fortunate. So that's, you're right. It it, it builds some self-awareness and, and you have to understand that you don't have the ability to see everything. Um, but you should be able to at least sort out what the, what's, what's the worst thing that can happen? What's the likelihood that it could happen? And then uh, are you willing to accept that if it happens? Right. Right. My wife tells me that I have a higher risk tolerance than she does. Uh, which is which is over the years been toned down and toned down uh, from not, you know, not quite your story. But yeah, there's definitely been some times where I thought to myself, what could go wrong? And then I was it was very clear what could go wrong about a year later. You got like, your answer. Oh, shit. This is one of those things. OK, I remember that for next time. Yeah. Yeah. When I do you. So do you think that. Because you kind of got thrown into the cleaning, the service side of the business, right? The service side, cleaning side. I mean, you just you just had to do that to survive. I mean, that was your you had to. There there wasn't really yeah. there wasn't a choice. There wasn't an option there. But then I would have to imagine, you know, you you've got to be so many times where you're just like this. You know, this isn't going to work out. Our life is ruined and over. But you know, you you start relying on some education from Joe Polish and from Howard Partridge, and you and you're listening to Zig Ziglar. And you dig yourself out of the hole and you don't you don't just dig yourself out of the hole like you climb to the top of the mountain after you're done. I mean, was that kind of like psychology, like where you're going like like that was amazing. I want to be able to help other people do that. You know, I wish I wish that my mind I could say that that was what drove it. But no. OK, I when we were doing it, it was such a struggle. And then it started to feel normal. And then it, it, you know, it became, you, you felt that success. I mean, I, I can remember the pin, this is what I call, you know, one of the high points. So we cleaned um, the, we cleaned the AstroTurf at the Georgia Dome before the Super Bowl. I can't remember which one it was, but Titans versus Rams. And there I was, you know, this, this kid who grew up in the ghettos of Philadelphia on food stamps. And there I am standing in the middle of where the Super Bowl is going to be played in a few days, uh -huh. you know, with my team of, of six technicians and six band, you know, we're just out there killing it. Right. Yeah. And I, that was, that was like, probably from a work perspective, that was a, just such a high for me. I was so proud. Um, but it never occurred to me that there was a, a book in that or a lesson in that or something, because it was so weird. It was so circuitous how we got there. How do you teach that? You know what I mean? Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I also want to go, you know, it's, I, I think, I think I can probably tell a story to inspire people. And that's one of the, one of the things I love to do when I'm, when I'm training is like inspire people to really, really, you know, want to be the best at what it is that we do in this industry and to really have pride and appreciation for what a great industry this is. And in fact, I got to uh -huh. tell you one more thing. Somebody asked me the other day, they said, hey, did you watch, you know, football or basketball or something? They were asking me that in class. And I said, no, I think they should be paying to watch us. <laughs> we're the ones who are doing stuff. You know, we're the ones who are putting people's lives back together when the unthinkable happens. When yeah. you think about the the layers of this industry, you know, some of the toughest ones, I have a, a good friend of mine named Gordy Powell. He runs a company called Georgia Clean. Yep. And he goes in and he cleans up after somebody's, you know, kid has committed suicide or mm. there's an unattended death or something like that. I mean, the, you know, we're the heroes, right? You know, so, so uh, that's kind of 
how I feel. I, I try to inspire people to understand how great this industry is and how great the opportunities we have to help people are. You know, and that's and that's something that I mean, for me, when I'm onboarding someone and it's I mean, it's part of my my mission here at GMS. Yeah, we make you, know, you could say that we make electrical portable power distribution boxes. Yeah, we do that. That's that's what we do. But I know I always tell everybody, I was like, but you have to understand when this when this product gets plugged in, it's because somebody's having a very bad day, the homeowner, and someone else is there trying to help them out and put it back together. And and that's that's when that's when we get to help. So yeah, we're making we're making a power distribution box, but we're helping people. Everyone that we send out the door is gonna go help. It's not gonna help just one person. It's gonna help multiple people. You know, it's gonna help the the contractor get his job done better and faster, and it's going to help the homeowner get a better job and their life put together faster. So I know that's kind of kind of what you're saying. You know, that's that's something that that I'm thinking about. You know, when I come to work and when people come in to help me, and you know, it's like, hey, this is why this is why we're doing it. Uh, yeah, we're doing it to help other people, and this is this is well, how this is how we're able to do that. Your new um, your new catchphrase should be, you know. We enable ordinary contractors to do extraordinary things. See, this is why you're a business coach, because you that just that just came right off the top so fast. <laughs> yeah, well, because when you think about this, something what you do, you well, and you, you get it because you have the electrical background too, so you under you understand yeah. kind of the the nitty gritty of it. Right, right. So yeah, that's uh that's a big part of of success in this industry is. Uh, pulling together the right resources, isn't it? And, yeah. and, you know, what you guys do is an, is an important resource so that the restorer can carry out what their job is, is to put people's properties back together. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Well, and then even talking about that, you know, I said, I said that was our why, you know, that's, that's, that's why, that's why I come to work. That's why I work so hard is because I know, I know at the end of the day, like that's, that's why I'm helping, I'm helping people. And, uh, but you, I know that's kind of, you know, one of the, when I've, when I've talked with you in the past, you're big on knowing your why also, and I'm probably from your, from your business coaching and talking to people, what is, how important is the why? Well, if you don't have one, it becomes really, really obvious why it's important because um, failure is just right around the corner. Um, you can, mm. if, and, and the other thing is the nature of the why matters. Uh, I was, I wish I could remember who I was talking to and what the, what the uh, subject was, but uh, it was one of my coaching clients, but I don't remember which one it was. And, and he was frustrated about something. Um, and, and I said, listen, and this, this is something that kind of annoys people when I say this, I say, what you do is not that important, hmm. you know, drying buildings. I mean, yeah, it's important to the people whose buildings are drying, but let's face it. If you and your company went away tomorrow, um, that building would dry anyway. Those people's lives would get back together anyway. We ain't saving lives here. But then I said, but it's what you do with what you get from what you do that matters. You know, these businesses, they make money and money comes in. Yes. The question is, what happens to the money? You know, after you've taken care of food, clothing, shelter, travel, fun, toys, and, and there's still these tens and hundreds of thousands of dollars of residual, what do you do with it? Do you hoard it? You know, do you try get bigger and better toys? Yeah. What, what's the purpose? And that's that's kind of what I, you know, and if it's to give your kids a better life, if it's to create a legacy, if it's to build a foundation, you know, that 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 continues to pay into perpetuity to the charity of your choice, whatever that is, that's that's the that's the why. Yeah. And too many people don't they don't think about that. So they end up squandering all of these resources, these seeds that they have to grow these mighty trees and those trees never get planted. Well, I think that, so for me, I'm listening, I'm listening to, I agree a hundred percent with what you're saying and everybody's is going to be a little different. Now I, I go back to, and I just did an exercise again, um, my vision, right? My, my vision for 
what I want, the life, you know, the life I want, how I see myself in the future. And, you know, that vision is going to drive all of those decisions. So when you're, you know, when you're talking about like, you know, this, this leftover money and what are you doing with it? I mean, you know, I can go back to my vision and I know what I'm doing with it. Or, you know, there's yeah. pretty much anything that I do, even daily, weekly, whatever. I can go back to my vision and know why why I'm doing those things. And for me, um, you know, I've never shared this before, but my goal, and, I th- and, and it's, it's about a 12 to 15 year, I think, uh, out before it's 100% done. But my goal is to... I want to I want to get a, a like a ranch, a hunting ranch. And I want to do it in Texas because Texas has a lot of of uh, exotic animals. Not, they're called exotics, but there's there's invasive species. There's there's animals that are roaming around Texas that aren't native to Texas. And what that yeah. does is it creates a year round hunting opportunity to where there isn't season like for hogs, for example. There isn't a season for hogs. There's very little. um restrictions or regulations on hogs like there would be on on an elk or a deer you know there's there's very little to no regulations and what and my goal is to have this ranch set up but not not necessarily for me to go hunt i want to be able to provide the opportunity for others who who wouldn't mm-hmm. who wouldn't have the opportunity before that they would have the opportunity they could come out and hunt and they could they could experience it and you could you know you can go through the whole process and we'll you know we're we'll hunt the animal we'll learn some techniques there we'll learn gun safety and and that kind of thing or archery and then take you know from kind of from farm to table you know and then and then send them home with with their sausages or their their bacon or you know their roasts and and they can go home and and then provide for their family and know that they're eating you know that you know, know where your food came from. It's an organic. So all of the, all of the things that I love about hunting, uh, I want to be able to provide that to other people because there's, there's so many people. I mean, even me included, I wasn't able to go to do kind of what I'm doing now at the level I'm doing it now until, you know, I was in my late thirties. Uh, I just didn't have the opportunity. No one was there to show me. I didn't have the funds for it or, or whatever, but I want to be able to provide that to, to a, a younger demographic that, you know, maybe just wouldn't ever have that opportunity. That's so anyway, that's, uh, that's, that's kind of my long term and, and big vision would be to, to have that place and be able to provide that for, for other people. That's, that's me. Well, and I think that's an amazing vision because what you're basically doing, in my opinion, is you are taking people out of this fabricated reality. And I'm not trying to get too metaphysical, but, but yeah, you know, People don't know where their food came from. They don't know what goes into, uh, you know, that package of sausage that, you know, they're, they, they don't understand. And this is another thing I think that's huge, Jared. Um, people, they, 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 they're disconnected from the reality of how the world works, how, how the earth works, how, how the, the connectedness of humans to animals, animals to plants, plants to the earth, earth to microbes, right. all the way down. It's just you go to the store and you buy this. And then the sad fact of the matter is most of them don't know they're buying into something that is causing an immense amount of suffering to animals that are raised in inhumane you know, means. And I don't want to get too political about this, but what you would be doing is bringing people closer to uh, the way that it I, I think it should be, you know, um, instead of using them as these resources that can be uh, abused and used and, and almost like their lives have no meaning when you, when you're doing, when you're hunting or when you're, when you're uh, raising cattle in a uh, free range grass fed so that they can, they can live their lives in the way that a, a, you know, a cow is supposed to live. Yep. That's another whole other thing. But when you're talking about some of the stuff that goes on out there, it's 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 horrific. So I love what you're thinking of doing. I think it's a beautiful dream. I think you should do it tomorrow. Yeah. Let's let's do this. <laughs> well, I said 12 to 15, but yeah, tomorrow I'll I'll 
I'll take a look at it tonight and see if we can't bump that up a little bit. But yeah, that is. But yeah, I mean, when I look at when I look at, I mean, and, and there's plenty more things that I want to do. But for as far as you know, when you were talking about financial resources and where are you putting them once once your food's covered, and your house is covered, and your retirement's covered, and you know your kids' college and everybody, everything, all the necessities are covered. Then what? That's that's my that's my then what? That's mine. Yeah, and some people do it in their community, um, like my Joanna. Uh, she. Her thing is elephants. Elephants. So, is there a lot of she, elephants yeah. in Atlanta? She, yeah, <laughs> she helps to support uh, uh, two or three elephant sanctuaries that rescues elephants from uh, all over the world from uh, cruel and inhumane treatment oh, in wow. various circuses. Um, you know, d- zoos that just can't take care of them. Sure. I mean, it's unbelievable the number of elephants, and they're some of the smartest creatures on the planet. Mm-hmm. And um, that's her thing. She's she's you know, she's into that. And uh, it's nice to be able to. That's the beauty of having a successful business is that you can you can invest in that. You can you can literally invest in it and understand that some of the work that you're doing is impacting others who have absolutely no way of giving back to you. Yes. Yeah. No, I don't know. I know a little bit about the elephant. That is so cool that she's doing that. That's that's really neat. Now, are you on the elephant? Are you doing the same thing with elephants or do you have some a, a different passion or what's I call it a vision? But what what are. What well, is it for you? There was this guy that inspired me, and I think I, you heard about this or I told you about it when we talked, but uh, a guy named Scott Harrison, when he was in his 20s, um he was a nightclub promoter and you know, he was, his job was to get people wasted, you know, get him to show up at nightclubs, spend a lot of money. Yep. And you know, he was, he controlled the velvet rope. He controlled who could come, you know, whatever. And after he had gotten everything that he thought he really wanted, he realized his life had no meaning and, and he decided to do an about face and move in a different direction. And he started his uh, journey to what he calls redemption uh, by going and serving on one of the mercy ships, you know, that goes uh, to some of the most, um, uh, the poorest places on the planet to provide healthcare to people who have no access to healthcare whatsoever. Oh, really? And so he was take he was the photographer. He was taking pictures. He was, he was documenting the work that all these great surgeons did. And uh, while he was uh, on that mission, he, for one year, um, by the way, his reputation was so bad, they wouldn't let him volunteer. He had to pay $500 a month to go. That just gives you an idea <laughs> of where he was. Yeah, it's, it's like the, the charity would, they were like, well, we'll take your money and your time, you know, yeah. but it's not one yeah. or the other. So, so uh, anyway, so he's, he's taking all these pictures. He's documenting all this suffering. And then he was talking to one of the doctors and the doctor said, you know, half of this is caused by the water they drink and the the lack of sanitation, the lack of clean water. Hmm. And so he made that his mission. That's how he found his mission was being exposed to this. And he started a a company called Charity Water. And um, I don't remember what year that was. Uh, I want to say it's like 2010 or something like that. And as of last week, uh, I think I read that they have raised over six hundred million dollars, and and the beauty of it is that at the from the very inception, his model was one hundred percent of the donations go to building wells and providing clean water for people. So when I read that book, I was on board. You know, that became my mission was to support his mission. Wow. Wow. Well, and I just looked up, I just looked him up online while we were talking charity water, found him. Yeah. Water projects funded 91,000 people served 14 million, almost 15 million in 29 different countries. And they have a, I'm going to call it like a plot map. Is that where it shows yeah. all, it has a world map and it shows every place where they have done, where they've done a well for clean water. This is amazing. It's one of the few. Yeah, it's one of the few charities that actually reports where your money went. Like when we donate, um, and and so the past few years we've just donated money. And the way we did it is all of our WRT courses. Every student uh, who attends, we we just donate thirty dollars. And the thinking is, 
Um, based on the math that Charity Water has done, it costs them roughly $30 to give one person clean water for the rest of their life. Oh, for so, their, 30 bucks for their whole life? For their entire life, yeah, because it takes – the math is it takes about $15,000 to put in a, wheel, a well on average – and a well will serve about 500 people. You know, so, Bruce, I, I, mean, I, we're, I mean, we're fortunate. I think you can, there's probably a lot of people that, that's why I'm going to say this, that can relate to this. But, you know, I bought breakfast on the way, on the way into work today. I'm going to get lunch here at some point. I'm going to spend more than $30 on breakfast and lunch today. Yeah. So, and, and it's that level of reality that hit me that said, man, that's, if I'm that's going to put my money yeah. somewhere to do some good, that's where it's going to be. So we, we did that for a few years. And then last year, Joanna came up with the idea. She said, why don't we just fund a project? You know, just, oh, just wow. give the whole amount and fund a, a well. And so we were going to build a well, but, um, but Charity Water let us know that there was another project that they that took some precedence and it would actually, it would activate our money faster. And, okay. uh, and it was to refurbish a well that had basically broken down. And um, so they told us the amount and we said, yep, we'll do it. And uh, we signed on. And the beauty of Charity Water is they let us know the progress. You know, they they send the coordinates, you know, they send they send information and let you know exactly what's going on uh, on a regular basis. So anyway, all of that to say this. If if you if, if if someone's looking for a reason to do better in their business and to, you know, to to raise their prices, to become more profitable, to hire more people, to whatever. There's nothing more than having a purpose that is much larger than yourself. Because you Mm -hmm. can only live in one house at a time. You can only drive one car at a time. You can only be on one boat at a time. And then everything after that is superfluous. But if you're doing something that, you know, helps others, helps animals, inspires others, motivates others, educates others, well, then that's legacy. And that's really what most of us want. At the end of the day, we know that this life is limited and we just hope that there's some part of us, some good that came from us that lives on. Yeah, absolutely. I, yeah, I couldn't say it better. I mean, that's, ex- that's exactly that's exactly what it, what it is and what it should be about. Now it's time for a bad dad joke. <laughs> well, if we're switching the topic that fast, I got to go back to a note that I made. I'm a I'm a Tennessee Titans fan. It was 2000. Yeah. 2000 is when they did the Super Bowl with the Rams. So just okay. I just didn't want to get anybody calling me out later like you didn't even know when the I like, guess I do. I know when the Titans were in the Super Bowl and it was in 2000 um, and we lost barely, barely lost. And it was an amazing game. And uh, congrats to the Rams. We got it was in 2000. OK, bad dad joke. <laughs> All right. This was a really bad one. You, maybe you'll like it. You can cut this out of the uh, the whole podcast. But um, so there was there was this photon and it was going through the airport. And uh, just before he's ready to board the plane, the gate agent says, sir, uh, did you forget your luggage? And the photon says, no, I'm traveling light. <laughs> That's that's terrible and amazing. That's great. <laughs> oh, now I've t- I, I wish I had. I've heard so many of them, and I wish I had one right now that I could. Uh, but yeah, I can't. I don't. I don't have any. I don't have anything to to follow that up with. Oh wow! I find that when I start getting too serious, I have to tell a joke. You gotta lighten I have it up to a little bit. Food. Yeah. <laughs> Oh, well, I do want to go like that charity water thing, but that is that is amazing. And I'm and thank you for bringing it to my attention. Um, I mean, just. Oh, and by the way, I do want to website. point out. Fantastic. If you go to, if you go to Deloach training dot com, we have uh, Joanna's put up this whole thing about charity water. And I would love it. I don't know how we can do this. And maybe, you know, Jared, you can maybe help me with this after the podcast. Okay. But I would love it if our industry became like the top, you know, provider of money to Charity Water. Because when you think about it, this is, I was talking to students in one of our classes that what we call category three water, they're walking miles to take back home to eat, drink, and bathe with. And so 
I, I thought, wouldn't it be just poetic if our industry was the number one contributor to charity water? And that was the connection. I As soon as you talked about our industry, I was like, well, yeah, the water, the water connection already. That's what we do. We, yeah, we get rid of dirty water and make it make things clean. So, yeah, that would be sweet. But, um, would, but yeah, they can go to DeLosTraining.com and, and, and Joanna's got some way that, and, you know, that you that if you donate to charity water, um, you can do it. I don't know. She's got all that stuff set up. I don't know how it works. Okay. That's fair. Yeah. That's why that's why we have Joanna take care of that yes. stuff. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Oh, that's awesome. Well, how do you how do you think I'm going to have a conversation with you because maybe some one of our listeners will have an idea, too. How do you think we could we could do that as an industry? I mean, I immediately I think of, you know, a trade show booth, you know, getting a booth up and getting information out that way. But how do you. Do you have you thought about it? Do you have any ideas of how to make it? You know what I think? Industry? I, here's what I think. Here's what would be awesome. Um, and maybe I maybe I should do this. We tried to get Scott Harrison to speak for um, for the experience, and there were some oh. there were some is there were some issues timing. I'm, I'm not sure exactly what happened, some misunderstandings. But bottom line was it didn't it didn't come to pass. Okay. Um, I would I, I'm still going to try to push for that to happen. Um, but you know I don't think that they would mind if uh, one or two or a few. Um, of the exhibitors at a trade show, um, you know, kind of had that off to the side, say, Hey, this is something that we're doing. This is a side project of ours. Uh, we're trying to make this grow in our industry and, you know, make our industry the, the number one provider of clean water for people in the world. Um, I think that would be really cool. I, I could do it at my booth for sure. Yeah. That might be the way to do it is just, just talk to our friends and, and, and open it up through that. Just start getting stuff out there. Is there, yeah. is there anybody else that you know that in the industry that's involved like you are? Not that I've seen or heard. Okay. I'm just I'm just thinking. I'm just thinking. Well, yeah. well, one well, one thing we'll do is we'll get it out on this podcast. That's for sure, and uh, and we'll let people know that way. And then, yeah, I'm thinking I'm thinking we could collab on a on a booth or. Yeah, there's got there's got to be ways. I mean, especially with the instruct, like with you being an instructor and other instructors, in order, you know, just get stuff into the into the classes too. A slide at lunch or something. I don't I don't know. I'm uh, yeah, thinking. Well, cool. Well, let's uh, you know, let's brainstorm. You know, that's committee work. We don't do that during the podcast <laughs> now. <laughs> Oh, it's awesome. Well, Bruce, I've, I mean, we're coming, we're coming right up on that hour. I appreciate, I had a great conversation with you, man. I appreciate you so much. And, uh, and just everything that you've shared and man, you're, I knew you were a great guy, but now everybody else knows you're a great guy. And, uh, I really, really appreciate what you're doing for the industry and, and with charity water and man, you've got, you've got a purpose that is going to leave a legacy, my friend. Thank you. Cool. Well, thank you for having me. This is uh, these things are so much fun for me because um, I'll tell you that the one thing that I missed and it is coming back and that is, uh, you know, the face to face, the being around people. Hmm. Um, so this is to me, this is this is definitely an outlet. So thank you for the opportunity. Yeah, absolutely. Is there anything that you want to add or finish off sign off with before we before we go ahead and shut this down? Man, I kind of put you on the spot. No, I, I will tell you this. This is I, I want to tell you something I'm, I've really been interested in. And maybe we do a podcast on this another time. OK, I'd love to do it with you or, or you know, someone. But um, taking care of yourself. Um, mm. I, I came up with this concept and I'm, I'm trying to, you know, develop it into something for our industry. Uh, and basically that success is in the flesh and flesh stands for flexible lean, energetic, strong, and hydrated. I like the, you that. Know, yeah, we need to take care of ourselves so that we can do what it is that we do for a longer period of time and not destroy our health in the process. So uh, that, you know, take care of yourself, people. You're, you only get one body. You know, you only get one right. life. Take care of yourself. Now, are you seeing that 
and I and I agree with you, but I'm I'm a person that I, I I do I do work out, I do train, and when I train, I train hard. But then when I get busy, that's the first thing that gets crossed off my list because I'm busy. And I'm like, and I always tell myself like, oh, I'll get, I'm, I'm going to do that tomorrow or I'll make time tomorrow. I'll make time tomorrow. And then I'm busy. I like, I've got orders. I'm back ordered. I need more production. I need, you know, and, uh, and I work a longer day and that's the first thing that gets cut out. Um, and I know I shouldn't do it and I'm, and I need to make sure that I don't. So I, I agree with what you're saying, even though I don't practice it every day, but are you seeing that maybe even your business coaching and your clients, are you seeing that with other guys too, in the industry where we're, we got stuff to do, there's work to do. Uh, I don't want to use the word busy, but there's work to do. Well, I don't have time to go. I don't have time to take care of myself. Right. And and that's the thing is I think we're overcomplicating it. So, so that my whole, that whole concept of flexible, lean, energetic, strong, and hydrated, those are all things that you can do in the course of your day. It isn't mm. taking time away. And in fact, uh, in, in some instances, the way that you're doing it, it's going to add time. It's going to, you know, it's going to add productivity. So, right. Yeah, because I know the reality of being a business owner. It's not eight hours a day. It's 16 hours a day. You yeah. know, people don't like to believe that. But if you take it from your emotional, mental, psychological, and to some degree, physical, uh, you know, parameters, it's 16 hours a day. Yeah. So, yeah. But well, that's it. We, you know, we will we'll get podcast. into that on another. Yeah. I yeah, I, that's that's a good one. Um, well, I'll tell you, I mean, anytime you want to come back and talk about that, man, you let me know and uh, and we'll get it scheduled and set up. Yeah. All right, brother. Thank you so much again. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that'll do it for us. This is Jarrett broadcasting out of his warehouse shop production facility here in Bellingham, Washington. Bruce, where are you at today? I'm in lovely Swanee, Georgia, just outside of Atlanta just outside of Atlanta. That's awesome, man. Bruce, thanks again, man. Really appreciate you coming on. All right. Thank you, man. Take care. Hey, have a great day, everybody.